I'm Nancy Showalter, and you're listening to Spirituality for the Politically Incorrect podcast. Welcome, all radical paradigm shifters and creative change makers. You who dare to create a better life and a better world, tap into the power that resides within you and use that power for constructive change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. We have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Joe Rabino, and he's going to be talking about the number one ingredient essential for success and happiness. Dr. Joe Rabino is the CEO of the Center for Personal Reinvention.com. He's acknowledged as one of the world's foremost experts on the topic of elevating self-esteem. He is a life-changing personal development and success coach on how to restore self-esteem, achieve business success, maximize joy and fulfillment in life, and productivity. He's known for his groundbreaking work in personal and leadership development, building effective teams, enhancing listening and communication skills, life and business coaching, and optimal life planning. His 12 best-selling books and audio programs are available in 23 languages and in 58 countries. Dr. Joe, welcome to you today. We are so happy you're here with us. Thank you so much, Nancy. It's my privilege. Well, let's just get right started so you can share your wisdom with all of our listeners. And, you know, Joe, as the author of the Self-Esteem book, the ultimate guide to boosting the most important ingredient for success and happiness in life, you're very passionate about championing people to elevate their self-esteem. Why is this so important? Well, what I've noticed, Nancy, is over the last 23 years of coaching people, literally thousands of people, whenever they were not living their best lives, it always pointed to lack of self-esteem. Now, whether that is lack of abundance, broken relationships, lack of fulfillment in their work, not having any fun, that empty feeling where their lives are devoid of passion, it always is a source of low self-esteem. And if we look at all of the ills that plague our society, everything from alcohol and drug addiction, poverty, violence, eating disorders, bullying in the schoolyard, divorce, and even war, Every ill is, again, sourced in low self-esteem. People don't believe in themselves. They don't see their future as bright and their happiness, their success, their relationships as warm and loving and all that as inevitable. And so what happens? They try to overcompensate in ways where maybe they need to be more aggressive, ways where they might need to get other people before they get them. They have distorted thought processes, they, they do things where they act emotionally instead of intentionally, and it all leads to problems. So a downward spiral starts to occur, and its beginning source is people just don't believe in themselves, they don't believe in their ability to champion other people, to have win-win scenarios, and as a result, their lives start to unfold in a way that doesn't support them. Oh, so true. 
Well, you know, where does low self-esteem have its origins? I mean, can you give us an example or two of how a young child might have had their self-esteem shattered? I mean, if it all began when we're very young, you know, why haven't we gotten over these feelings later in life? I mean, in other words, what, what keeps these feelings of being unlovable or not good enough in place? Well, first of all, it happens early on in life, usually before the age of six, when one of two things happens. Either we buy into someone else's negativity or we make something up based on something that was innocently said. Perhaps a parent says, what's the matter with you? And we think, well, let me look. I guess there's something the matter with me. Or it could be a bullying episode. It could be an abusive situation. Someone says or does something that has the child feel like they're flawed, they're unlovable, they're not good enough, they don't belong. So whether it's bought into the negativity or they made it up, the result is the same. They start to now scan for and find evidence after evidence, pieces that reinforce that initial thought that they have that they don't belong, that they're not good enough, that they're flawed or defective in some way, that they don't meet that standard of perfection. And so now they create that thing that they fear the most, the self-fulfilling prophecy happens where if they think that they're not good enough, they build the evidence to support that. If they think they can't be happy or abundant, they create that as a self-fulfilling prophecy. And they now, uh, over the course of years, decades, their entire lifetime, they're absolutely convinced that that's just the way they are, that's just the way other people are, and that's just the way the world is. So what happens is they reach a point where resignation starts to set in, where they think that there's nothing they can do about it because they've created a reality in their lives that says, this is just how I am, this is how other people are, this is how the world is, and there's nothing I can do about it. And that resignation allows them to become a victim. It allows them to settle for less. It allows them to struggle and suffer. Suffering is always about something having something we don't want or wanting something we don't have. And it's always sourced in that low self-esteem that has us settle for less in life. So although it starts early on in life, the reason why it continues is because what we do is we continually reinforce these thoughts about how we're defective, not good enough, incapable of having it all. And the evidence that we constantly create, we've created it this morning, in, in an argument with our spouse. We created it yesterday uh, in a problem that we encountered with our friend. We created it in our businesses daily. So we don't get over them because we're constantly creating new evidence that reinforces our worst fear. Our fear that we're not good enough, our fear that we, we can't have an abundant life, our fear that our relationships need to be strained, our fear that our work is always going to be less than fulfilling. Whatever factors we've created in our life that have us stuck in suffering and struggling, these are the things that we constantly reinforce through the lack of self-esteem. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really, I understand and I really agree with you, and especially when you talk about children, sometimes the very slightest thing that an adult can say to a child maybe they don't even remember it years later. I know that's the case with you know adults and, and own parents and such that had such an impact on the child. So it's quite amazing um, what we can absorb as a sensitive child. So 
tell me a little bit about we humans who are bent, so bent on perfection and how this can keep us stuck. How do we escape from these feelings of being unworthy in some way? Well, first of all, if we look around us, we're constantly searching for the flaw in ourselves. And we constantly see others as being better than we are in some respect. So we look at movie stars who are pretty or more handsome than we are. We look at athletes who are more physically fit and, and in better shape and in better condition, perfect bodies. We look at people who are more wealthy than we are, people who are more charismatic. We can always seek to find the flaw in how we don't measure up, and we can always think that other people have it all when we don't, even though we don't really know enough about them to know that they are thinking the same thing about other people and how they don't measure up. So we constantly invalidate ourselves. We constantly look for ways that we're not good enough, that we don't belong, that we don't meet that standard of perfection. And so when we invalidate ourselves, we beat ourselves up, we play small because we listen to that negative self-talker, and that negative self-talker is constantly telling us that we're imperfect. And when we think that it's our intuition instead of that negative self-talk, we think that it's guiding us properly, and it's not because it's based in fear. It's based in all the negative emotions of anger and sadness and fear. We're, we're constantly uh, putting ourselves down. And so what happens? We now start to get in competition with other people. So maybe we start to invalidate other people because we think that we have to build ourselves up by making other people less than. So now we start to have relationships problems and struggles. And we start to think that we have to be aggressive in the world because that's the only way we can win because we don't have natural talents and skills to get what we want, abundance and happiness and the people that we want to attract ourselves to our lives. So what happens is we create this mistaken assumption that has flawed reasoning about it, that we're imperfect and that we can't achieve perfection. So what happens? We constantly strive to be perfect. We constantly invalidate ourselves because we, we can't get there. Or we think, geez, this is hopeless. I give up. And then we hide under a rock because we think that it's useless. Why bother? And that's when the resignation sets in. And that resignation kills our spirit. So we die inside. We give up our striving to achieve because we think wealth is for other people. Why even bother? There's nothing I can do about it. Rich relationships are for other people. I'm never going to find somebody that's going to make me happy. Uh, fulfilling work, I don't have enough skills to do the things that I love to do. I have to work at the widget factory because it's the only way I can survive and make a living. So little by little, we create evidence in every area of our lives to justify settling for less, to justify why we don't go for the brass ring, the gold ring, why we have to because we're flawed, because we're defective, because we're unlovable. Whatever that our own particular version of lacking self-esteem is, we settle for a dimmed existence, and then we get to be right about all the things that we made up about ourselves and about others in the world. Hmm. You know, you talked about negative self-talk, and so many of us deal with that daily. So what, what would you say? How do you deal with this negativity and stop this noise in the head? Well, the first step is to recognize when that negative self-talk is happening. 
And as I mentioned before, what happens many times is we confuse it with our intuition. Our intuition is always 100% accurate. It's based in our higher self. It's sourced in love, and it's there to guide us. Our negative self-talk has two objectives. The first is to keep us safe and to protect us from risking unnecessarily and getting hurt. The second is to have us constantly prove that we are good enough where we think that we're not. So we're constantly on that treadmill, running, trying to catch up, trying to prove that we are something that intrinsically we fear that we're not. If we think, for example, that nobody likes us, we're trying to constantly prove that we are likable. So we become the people pleaser. We become the class clown who's trying to get attention. We constantly do things to try to prove that we are something that we think that we're not. Or, as I said, the opposite happens where we just give up. Now, what do we do? We have to recognize when that negative self-talk is happening. I like to picture that negative self-talk as a little gremlin on our shoulder as opposed to our internal guidance of our intuition. That gremlin is there, as I said, to protect us or to have us do better. Once we hear that negative self-talk, what do we do? We recognize it for what it is, negative self-talk. We halt it in its tracks. Thank you for sharing. Now shut up and take a hike. And we now replace it with an, an affirmation that is 180 degrees in, op, in contrast, opposite of whatever it is the sec negative self-talk is guiding us. I'll give you an example. We're invited to a party. And what happens? The negative self-talker says, you don't want to go to that party. Remember the last time you went to a party? You sat behind the plant the whole time. Nobody wanted to talk to you. You're boring. You have nothing to share with the world. So what happens? Okay, I'm not going to that party because I don't want to be in pain again, right? So what do we do? That's your negative self-talker. It's not sourced in love and intuition. It's based in fear. We recognize it. Shut up, take a hike. Replace it with an affirmation that says, you know what? I am a good friend. I have plenty to contribute. I could make someone's day at that party. Now we take action based on that affirmation. We go to the party. We find someone who's shyer than we are. We get to know them. We ask them questions about themselves. We make their day. We make them great. And what happens? We now end up with a friend. We have a great time at the party because somebody now wants to talk to us, is having a great time because we went to the party and we edified them. We supported them to have a good time. We took the focus off of ourselves and we allowed them to put the focus on them. So that's what I mean by recognizing the negative self-talk and taking definitive action that has you break up whatever the fear is. So in this particular example, we go to the party, we have a great time. We're now creating a new whole pattern of evidence that says, I am a good friend. I am someone who people want to be with. I am someone who can have fun at a party. And we can do that in any aspect of our lives, in any challenge. If we're challenged at work, for example, let's say that we're in a dead-end job and we hate what we're doing, but we think, well, that's the only thing I know how to do. Personally, I was in a job. The job was dentistry. I was a dentist. I made a lot of money. I had a lot of patients. I was successful by society standards. But my negative self-talk told me, you can't do anything else. This is the only thing you know how to do. You can't speak. You don't know how to write. People don't want to have anything else that you can offer. You have no ability to create value for people. 
And that kept me stuck in suffering for 18 years in a job that I really didn't like. Now, there's nothing wrong with the profession of dentistry. It's a great profession. But I wasn't happy for practicing. So, and it wasn't until I realized that I made all of those things up about myself and I could be a huge contribution in another sphere. That sphere is personal development where when I gave up my right to invalidate myself and I took the focus off of myself, I now decided to be an inspiration to myself and to others and to inspire other people to be their best. And that's when I reinvented myself to do what I'm doing right now as opposed to something that didn't serve me because it didn't honor my values. It wasn't part of my life purpose, which I got to declare as a contribution to other people's inspiration. And we all have that ability to do that same act of declaring who we've decided to be instead of being in resignation and listening to the self-talker whose job is to keep us from suffering, keep us safe and from risking. So that's a great opportunity that we all have in front of us. Well, I think you really did uh, prove yourself talk wrong <laughs> as a great success that you are now in helping so many people. So it's so wonderful. You know, you, you talk also about emotional awareness. And why is this so important? And is it really possible to live an upset-free life? I mean, what's the secret here? Well, it is possible. And by an upset-free life, what I mean is a life that's not chronically driven by upsets. We are all addicted to one of three predominant emotions. They are anger, sadness, or fear. And the anger can be anything from indignant or frustrated anger to raging anger. The, the sadness can be uh, depressed sadness to abject depression. There's a wide range. The fear can be people that worry all the time or people who are afraid of everything, afraid of the, you know, the sky falling, terrorist attacks, the economy going south, uh, their spouse leaving them, whatever that abject fear is. So when we can recognize what runs us, we now have the ability to create a new interpretation in the moment that is mood free, that is emotionally, emotional reaction free. So it's very important for us to recognize what emotional reactive state has our name on it because as long as we aren't aware that we're addicted to anger, we're going to be angry at the least provocation. If we're, we don't know that we're addicted to sadness, we're going to be prone to depression. 200 million plus people daily are addicted to sadness. These are people who are clinically depressed. It changes brain chemistry. It's so powerful, this addiction. 22% of women and 16% of men are addicted to fear. These are people who worry about things all the time, and it doesn't matter what there is to worry about, they will find something to worry about. So when we're addicted to one of these reactive emotional states of anger or sadness or fear, it runs our lives. We create interpretations moment by moment that give us our mood, and we attract people and situations into our lives that allow us to get our fix, to be angry, or to be sad, or to be afraid. So when we can recognize what runs us, we now can give up our right in the moment to be angry or sad or afraid, whatever that emotional reaction is, and we can create a new interpretation that is mood-free. We can actually, in the moment of an upset, say, 
determine what are the facts and what did we make up about those facts that had us be angry or sad or afraid. And how can we create a new interpretation that is mood free? So let me go back to the example of someone asking me to go to a party. Now, if my negative self-talk is telling me that parties are dangerous, you're going to make a fool of yourself, you're going to have a rotten time, it's, either, it's probably going to make me afraid to go to the party. So what do I do? I create a new interpretation in the moment, giving up my right to be afraid in this case. And I create a new interpretation that I'm going to have a great time. There's no fear involved. I am committed to making somebody else's day better than I found them. So I'm going to go to the party. I'm going to create that new self-fulfilling prophecy. What happened? I took, I separated out the facts. The facts are someone invited me to a party. What happened was I made up that I'm going to make a fool of myself if I go to the party. I'm going to manage that interpretation in the moment. I'm going to create a new interpretation that empowers me, that supports me to go to the party and have a great time. So when we can recognize what our addiction is, the red flag is the emotional reactive state of anger or sadness or fear. When we can recognize how we're driven in the moment to react, we can now put it on hold, okay, hold on a minute, and ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to give up my right to be angry or sad or afraid? Whatever runs you. So let me give you my own example. I, my reactive, emotional, always present state is indignant anger. It began when I was five years old playing at the schoolyard. Some teenagers came by, decided to have a little game of football using me as their football. So they tossed me around. I hit my head on the concrete, went home crying. I made up that I was small and insignificant, people were mean and cruel, and the world was a dangerous place, and it made me indignantly angry. How dare you was my catch-all phrase. So someone smoking, how dare you smoke in a restaurant? Don't you know that smoking causes cancer? How dare you cut me off in traffic? How dare you not call me back? It didn't matter what someone did, my addiction was to indignant anger, so I would create an interpretation that allowed me to be indignantly angry. So how do I release that? I recognize whenever I'm indignantly angry. Ah, there it is again. Are you willing to release it? Yes. Once you release it, now you create an interpretation in the moment that has no anger associated with it. So let me give you an example. The other day I was speaking to the bank for my dad. My dad is elderly. He's in assisted living. He can't do his own banking any longer. So I was trying to uh, resolve a challenge that his bank needed information. So I'm on the phone with the bank. The bank is not allowing me to handle his affairs because I'm not him. I explain the situation that he's elderly, he has dementia, he can't handle his own affairs. They tell me that he needs to come into the bank to authorize me to handle his affairs. Well, he's also in a wheelchair. He's not able to live, leave his assisted living. So now I'm getting angry. I'm getting, how dare you? You know, you're making this difficult for me. And then I recognize, okay, there's my always present indignant anger mood, right? Are, am I willing to give up my right to be indignantly angry? Yes. Okay, so I release the emotion. Okay, can I create a new interpretation here that keeps me in relationship with the person? Yes. This person is trying to protect my dad's assets from someone 
who is an imposter trying to steal his assets. So she's actually trying to do me a favor. So, great. Can I act out of gratitude with this? Yes. So, how can I handle the situation? So, long story short, I went to the bank. I got the card. I had my dad fill out the card and sign it. We got it notarized. Now I can handle his affairs seamlessly. No problem. But where I was going was totally ineffective. I was getting angry at the, at the teller. I was uh, really losing my cool. Ineffective. Totally ineffective. Once I realized what was driving me, now I could be nice to the person. Now I could thank them for helping me. What happened? They are now wanted to help me instead of resisting because I was resisting them. So when we recognize what runs us and we manage it in the moment and we're willing to give up our right to be angry or sad or afraid because sometimes it's too juicy. You know, when we're angry, we're forceful, we get to make other people wrong, we get to dominate them, they don't get to control us, so we keep it in place. When we're sad, we get to play the victim role. I was depressed, it wasn't my fault. We get to have a little pity party. When we're fearful, same thing, we are a victim. I was afraid, it wasn't my fault. We give up our right to be responsible for moving life forward. So yes, it is possible to live an upset free life, and what it takes is managing our addictive state moment by moment, creating new interpretations in the moment that empower us, rather than those that give us our mood and shut us down. Wow, what a beautiful example. Thank you so much. And, and it's such a practical thing that everyone can implement in their life right, right away. It's, it's awesome. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Now, you also speak about two keys to healing our past and raising self-esteem of being empathy and forgiveness. And why are these so important? Well, empathy is about putting ourselves in the other person's world. It allows us to ask ourselves, what is it like in Nancy's world for her to say what she just said to me? Or why would John do such a thing? So when we have empathy, we now realize that people do the best they know how to do based on how they see the world. And we can become 10 feet tall and bulletproof because we realize that people are actually doing the best they know how to do based upon the pictures of how they see the world. So when we have empathy, we give up our right to be offended. We give up our right to be invalidated. We realize that it's not about us. The upset is about the other person. So we can be personally charismatic and powerful in that moment. We also can heal and complete our past when we have empathy because we're no longer operating out of mistaken assumptions or interpretations that we created that diminish our self-esteem and keep us in that drama cycle of constantly opposing people and being in arguments with them and, and not having peace in our lives. When we are forgiving, we forgive ourselves first because we make mistakes, we have self-compassion, and now we can have the capacity then to go and forgive others for making mistakes. So again, it's about completion. As long as we haven't forgiven ourselves or others, we keep the upsets foremost in our lives. We constantly relive them, and there's no peace. Once we've forgiven ourselves and others, we complete, we move on, we learn from our mistakes, we grow, and we learn the lessons that allow us to be better, more spiritually, and, and uh, more evolved. And it allows us to 
learn and grow and enjoy the process of life. The third component which is critical is gratitude. Once we are grateful, we now start to look for the blessings in our lives as opposed to what's wrong. And the law of attraction says we make large the things that we focus upon. So if we're constantly manifesting more gratitude, we're making more blessings show up in our life. We're, we're creating more of the things that we want. So these three qualities of empathy and forgiveness and gratitude are essential for not only healing and completing our past, but for allowing us to enjoy the process of life and to move on and to learn the lessons necessary for us to now declare who we are and move on to creating a future in choice. Because as long as we are not empathetic, we don't want to realize why people do what they do, so we take things personally. As long as we haven't forgiven others, we're constantly creating more of that negative energy in all of our relationships because we are looking for vengeance instead of forgiveness, typically. And as long as we are in, ungrateful, we're constantly looking at what's wrong, what are all the pains in our lives, instead of what are the blessings that we can make larger in our lives and how can we give those blessings to others. So those three are really key. Great. Thank you so much. You know, you're talking about, you just mentioned moving beyond the past and, and you know, by assessing our, our present state of affairs before designing that future in choice. So maybe you can share with us, where do you start with this process? Well, you, you start with the three-step self-esteem healing process. The first, as I mentioned, is healing and completing your past. Once your past is complete, you're no longer operating out of all the things you made up or bought into from the time you were a little child all up until the present day. You have healed and completed. You're no longer making things up on a daily basis with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your friends in the world that don't support you. You've healed. You're no longer operating out of the mistaken assumptions that have you repeat the same lessons over and over again, which is critical. Once you've done that, you now can move on to the second part of the self-esteem system that I've created, which is assessing what's so in your present. You can look at what are your most important values. Are these values being honored in your life? You know, values form the fabric of who we are at our core. When the threads of that fabric are pulled, when our values are being dishonored, we shut down in our communication, we become angry, we become depressed. Life doesn't work for us. So our values demand to be honored. And if we don't know what our most important values are, we can't possibly honor them because we don't know why life isn't working. When I was not happy as a dentist, I didn't know why, which values are being dishonored until I realized that creativity is a value of mine. I wasn't being fully creative as a dentist. Inspiration is a value of mine. I wasn't inspiring anyone, including myself. Love and belonging and contribution are values of mine. And I w was not fully contributing that those gifts to the world because I was feeling sorry for myself in in a profession and in a life that wasn't providing me with satisfaction. So it's important to honor your values. It's important to discover what your gifts are so that your gifts are not only being developed and shared with others, but being constantly uh, expanded into the world. We all have gifts. Most of us don't realize what they are and they're not fully developed. They're not shared with others. We don't know that we have the ability to live in choice. We can live a life purpose that we declare. 
Most people are not living their life purpose. They haven't declared what that is. They're living the default. They're doing the best they can every day trying to put up with the problems that the world gives them. They're not living proactively. So when we live a life purpose, we have a vision for our lives that empowers us. We now can live a life in choice that operates out of a declaration that says these are the qualities that I want to be known for. We can set goals that align with that life purpose and our vision and allow us to share our gifts with the world. We can take actions now that allow us to support the goals to be manifest. So every piece is interlocked with another piece. And when we do all of these things and we realize that we're empowered to live our life with a positive expectation for the future, we now go on to the third element of the self-esteem system, which is designing our future in choice. And that future is one marked by positive expectation and high self-esteem. It's one where all six key areas of life are operating optimally. Our health and appearance, our wealth and our finances, our job or our, our business, our relationships, both inside and outside of our family, uh, the uh, spiritual and personal development aspects of our life, and we're having fun, we're recreating, we're pursuing our passions. So all elements of our life are working optimally. We're empowered to interact with others in a way that champions them because we believe in win-win. We feel empowered. We feel loved. We feel significant. Other people matter to us. We feel worthy of all of the blessings that life has to offer, including abundance and rich relationships and fulfilling work. In short, we are living an empowered life because we believe not only in ourselves, we believe in others, and we believe that the world is there to support us. Any problem is there to support us with a gift for our edification, for our increased knowledge, for our wisdom. So we're no longer being shut down by all the problems that happen to us in life. And this whole system is a paint-by-numbers system. If you can connect the dots, if you can paint-by-numbers, you can do the system because my program of healing your past and assessing your present and designing your future in choice comes with exercises which allow you to allow life to train you so you're no longer at the effect of what life gives you. You're empowered because, for example, when you know the emotional reactive state that runs your life, you now can recognize that whenever you're angry or sad or afraid and you can manage your interpretation so that you can be empowered with people. You can enhance your relationships instead of damaging them like you used to. That is just one of about 52 principles in this three-step process. So when you're able to live an empowered life that sources you, that allows you to realize that you're on the path, you're loving the process, and you're honoring your values, you're contributing your gifts to the world, you're living and sharing your life purpose, life is good, people want what you have, you're now becoming more abundant, you're becoming more effective and charismatic with people. You're happier. You are recreating and pursuing your passions and having a great time. And you're empowered to make other people great. So you're contributing more of who you are as a possibility to others. And every part of that program interacts with every other part. So it is nothing but a program of possibilities and empowerment. Sounds wonderful. Now, you're talking about some of your resources here, your program, but what other resources are available to our listeners who want to step into their personal power and reclaim their self-esteem and 
even maybe help others do the same? Well, we have many resources. Uh, we have first a free gift for everyone. If you go to www.selfesteemsystem.com, you'll get a 45-minute audio entitled Seven Steps to Soaring Self-Esteem. It comes with seven mini-course lessons that have exercises that support you to build your self-esteem. This is all free. And you'll receive an hour video that I did for public television on how to elevate your self-esteem and build your best life. Um, that's one just for taking a look at our, as a thank you to take a look at our programs. We have programs where we actually uh, train people to help kids or adults or both be certified as self-esteem elevation coaches so that you can teach these principles to other people. We have a program that's a life optimization coaching program where you can teach life principles to become a life coach to support people. Uh, we have a business coaching program that supports people to teach business principles to business professionals. We're going to be introducing very soon a relationship coaching program to certify people as relationship coaches. So all of my work is intended to source my vision, which is to impact the lives of 20 million kids and 20 million adults. And I invite you to start learning about it by going to selfesteemsystem.com, get your free gifts, enjoy the gifts, and see if the programs might be a fit for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe Rubino, for being with us here today. It's been so enlightening and enjoyable. And uh, I thank our listeners for being with us today. And you can learn more about Dr. Rubino's life-changing work and championing people to restore their self-esteem by going to www.theselfesteembook.com. And don't forget to claim your free gift for being here with us today. So thank you, everybody, and we will see you next time. Thank you for being with me today, and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and comment. I'd love to hear from you, and your support is much appreciated. And don't forget, go to nancyshowalter.com to get your free electronic copy of my book, It's Okay to Be Rich, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Increased Wealth and Personal Mastery, endorsed by T. Harv Ecker. And my free mini course, How to Speak Your Success, The Shocking Truth of How Your Words Impact Achieving Your Goals. I'll see you next week.